Would you be my lady? Community to me is collective caring. And when you put the business context, the brand community context on top of that, community should support both the business goals and the members' goals. Welcome to Behind the Community Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Sims, and on every episode, I'm going to take you on a journey with me to uncover the truth of what goes on behind the community. I'll be speaking with industry leaders from all over the world to help you become the best community builder out there. Over the past decade, I've launched and scaled more than 40 different communities from a 10-person book club to a million-person finance network. Now, on today's episode, I speak with Raina Pomeroy. Raina is the Senior Director of Community at Good Insight. She is a trained social worker turned certified coach community builder, and social strategist. She previously was the head of community at Modern Fertility. On today's podcast, we discussed how she builds a strong sense of belonging, best practices to help your members engage and participate, what are the best ways to empower leaders within your community, and so much more. Let's dive in. So thank you so much, Reina, for jumping on the podcast uh, with me and, you know, speaking to our our community here. I would love to start uh, by asking you, how do you define community? Thank you, Michelle, so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, I love this question. Community to me has a couple different definitions. So the first thing is that I think everyone will probably say this, but people love connecting and getting their questions answered and having people to turn to. And community to me is collective caring. And when you put the business context, the brand community context on top of that, community should support both the business goals and the members' goals, sort of simultaneously. And I see a lot of struggle with our community, um, you know, leaders who are like always bumping up against the leadership who want a, a different definition, a different KPI. So whether it's a forum, a community of practice, or, um, communities in product, you know, community reminds us that we are never alone in our experiences. So for me, that those are the types of communities I'm always building um, in in my like professional life. But I think of also the communities that I'm part of in my personal life and are reminded that like when you're not alone, you can actually tackle more. You can learn more and there's like the the wisdom of the uh, the the village, so to speak. I love that wisdom of the village. <laughs> yeah, it definitely takes a village sometimes <laughs> to build a to build a community. So I'd love to hear more about your story coming into the industry because I know you've you've been part of a, a few different industries. So maybe you can talk me through that. Yeah, for sure. I think there's not a single person who went to school for community and like had a very linear path. So I think this is like a, probably a consistent message that everyone's sort of an accidental community person. Um, but looking back on my career, there was definitely a through line. Um, so I actually started my careers in um, campaign, campaign work, so political campaigns and um, bringing people along for whoever the candidate was and telling people stories and connecting with other people. And I loved that experience. And then I, it actually informed my decision to go to, um, to get my master's of social work. And when you get your social work degree, most people, <laughs> most sane people will choose the clinical path, the I want to become a therapist path. Um, I actually chose both that path and the macro path, which is like projects, um, 
political stuff um, and community organizing. And so I decided to do both and really love the personal connection piece, but also the the groups and connectedness um, and keeping things moving forward, like the operational side of the house. And that was, you know, the, the really big starting point of my career. And then after that, I actually became an executive coach for entrepreneurs. And it was taking like the, the personal connection piece and got my um, certification for coaching and built um, community spaces for creative entrepreneurs and really loved that experience. I actually just fell into tech because I was doing the, the creative entrepreneur coaching and my friend who was in the same space, who was also in tech said, Hey, Raina, I think you should be like, you should actually have a title in community. You're really good at this. You've done a lot of this for your own business um, and got recruited into tech and worked for our women's health startup. Um, and since then, I've really stayed in the tech space and love it. It's like the speed that I crave. I love the experience of really just being able to back into the goals that I want to, you know, the, like I was saying, like the business goals and the member goals and like making them work together. Mm. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, I think it's a, it's always a bit of a mixed bag when people start and, and make their way into the industry, but it, it does sound like everything kind of aligned, like you haven't gone too out there um, with, with, you know, your education or um, where you've worked before. Yeah. So one thing I'll say about that, I think is that, you know, because a lot of people sort of like take a weaving path. It makes a little bit, it doesn't look clear when you're in it. And you're like, why am I doing this and doing that? And it feels really chaotic in the moment. But I think that like doing a little bit of reflection has d- helped me understand why I loved this role and why I love this other role and why I love this other work. And like really being able to tell that story um, has been something that I've been, I keep encouraging other people to do because community roles are not linear. Um, the job descriptions are not linear, right? And so you're doing a lot of things that have um, transferable skills. Mm. I think that's a really refreshing mem- uh, message for a lot of people out there who feel that they might be stuck or they might be doing something that feels not quite right, uh, that there is this pathway, you know, very you know, abstract pathway to, to getting into probably the industry you want to eventually. And so now you're, you're at Good Inside. Um, so I'd love to learn a bit more about your work uh, at uh, this company and, and hear more about uh, the way you build community there. So how, how do you foster like a sense of belonging and community at Good Inside? Yeah, so our primary goal, like I said, um, is to make sure that our members know that they're never alone. Um, if people have heard of Dr. Becky, she's our CEO, she's our figurehead, she's also a clinical psychologist. One of the things that I actually have a post-it on my desk um, that says you can't change the hard, but you can change the alone. And that's what we really do. Like in the community, you can never change the feeling of like things being difficult, but we can sit next to somebody who is going through something. Right. Like I I always think about that in my personal life. I think about it in community. Um, it's really applicable when you're going through something hard. It's hard because often you're alone and you feel like you're alone in that experience. So if you can step back from that perspective and say like, actually, there's like all of these other people who are going through something similar to you, it can be a really powerful message. 
Um, I think in practice, this looks like a lot of different things, and maybe we can dive into some of these things, but we host ev- events of all different shapes and sizes, so synchronous things. But in the asynchronous forum, we have a forum, we have um, chat groups, we have a lot of opportunities for connection, um, prompts, and things like that, that really bring people together from all over the globe, which is really, really powerful. Um, it it kind of creates that village mindset. Um, I think people hear the the t- concept of like, it requires a village to raise a child. And it really does feel that way. So many of us are far away from our parents, far away from our, um, you know, families of origin, um, communities of origin. And when you don't have that infrastructure, when you don't have that support, it can feel really isolating. And so we're creating this virtual, you know, the proxy to in person um, community for for people and that village for people to be able to turn to. Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's really important. And I think the almost the older we get in life the less easy it is to create quite close relationship it's always awkward in a way because you're at a younger age uh you're kind of tied together with school or university and uh and then when you do get into these challenging times when you you know get a bit older and and start a family uh you know how how do how do you build that community around you yeah, there's a lot of actually news articles that have come out recently um, around this topic of like adults, parents who have like had a dip in friendships, whether they've just like changed life stages or they just no longer live near them or feel distance from other connections. And it's like in personal life, it's like super isolating, right? Like it's it can be a really scary time to know like or to not know who your people are. Um, we actually just had an event in our community around this topic of like the grief that comes along um, friendships and how to maintain friendships, how to stay connected, that kind of thing. Um, you know, there's some people who have had friends for years and years and years and decades, and that's great. And then there's a, a bigger group of people who feel like they've lost touch with people who they were connected with or really struggle to, to find new people who align with who you are now. Um, yeah, that doesn't really answer your question, but I think we're all struggling. And I think that, you know, one of the things that I love to do is just like reach out and say like, Hey, let's, you know, connect about something that I have in common with somebody. Um, it'd be really tough. It takes a lot of courage and also it takes a lot of time when you don't have a lot. Mm. It sounds like that event would have been really valuable. And yeah, I I think I've done, uh, I've been doing a lot of reading on, you know, the, the uh, loneliness epidemic, and I think it's something that doesn't really get the spotlight as much because it's it's almost you know I guess seen as a weakness if you say you're lonely uh, as an adult. So it's something that we definitely shy away from. Well, one of the things that I love to to use from my um, my coaching days um, is this thing called the Wheel of Life. You can Google it, you can add it to your show notes, whatever. There's it's a wheel cut into eight pieces. It's kind of like a pie and when you look at it, there's different segments of your life and you rate it on a scale from zero to 10. So zero's in the center, 10's on the outside. Um, and you look at how satisfied you are in each segment. So the segments are things like, I'm not going to remember all of them, but I'm going to try. So relationships is one of them, certainly. Um, your home and that, that um, living space, it could be living space or home, whichever you want to define it as. And like, 
how you're satisfied with it, how happy you are in that space. Does it feel cozy? Right. What, whatever definitions you want to give to it. Um, there's your financials. Um, I think there's like a category for love life or personal intimate relationships, um, growth or, um, self, self care, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of different categories and you look at it and say, Oh, wow, that's really interesting. You know, my, my, relationships is really low. It's like a two or three. I really want it to be a five. What would it take to get there? And so like with my coaching clients, I'll have these conversations about like, what would it look like to go from a three to a four? What would it look like to go from a four to a five, right? Like, and teasing that apart. Um, and sometimes you just don't have the energy to put towards that particular part of the pie. And you know that you're focused on something else, but just being able to visually see that that loneliness part is coming from this pie slice and saying, you know what? I actually haven't been focusing on this. It would actually help me in my mental health if I focused on this, right? Like there are a lot of things that are tied together. Mm. Yeah. When I think about, you know, eight different pieces or segments, I'm like, oh, wow, (laughs) that might be a lot. But I think more than anything, it just must offer a bit of focus, um, like you were saying, like you can now see, oh, I'm lacking in this area or I need to do this or, and if I don't have the time. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah. And I, I actually think that as a coach, I would never recommend somebody to focus on all the things at once. That's not, that's not possible. Um, and so thinking about it from the perspective of where have I been giving my energy? Where do I want to be giving my energy? And what would that improve in my life? Right? Like it, it's about intention and making sure that we're intentionally doing these things. I mean, I think it's very similar to community work. It's like if you focus on something, and like making sure that it grows, then you'll see, hopefully you'll see that something flourish from some of the, some of those efforts. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I could talk for a while on this topic. <laughs> um, I'd love to ask more around, I, I know that you've been working with uh, a few, I guess with, you know, parenting and fertility communities in the past, I think, you know, you would probably have some great examples of ways of making communities a safe and welcoming space um yeah do you have any recommendations yeah i think we have made some deliberate choices about our communities um both i i worked at modern fertility prior to this and coming from a fertility space it's like a really personal topic right talking about um your hormones talking about sex talking about things that are like a little bit taboo in the world and so like putting putting your name next to something that feels really scary is is hard. And so what we tried to do there that I've actually really used in my practice here at Good Inside is like creating a sense of uh, personal personal touches with anonymity. Like both of those things together can be really powerful. Um, and creating spaces that are specific to topics that people are really interested in. So, you know, one of the challenges that I see in Facebook groups about the topic of fertility is like everyone has so many different topics that they want to cover. When you put a community inside a space like Circle, like Slack, um, although I don't recommend Slack if you're trying to scale a community, um, you can create separate rooms for specific discussions, right? You can have segmented discussions where people... Um, who are triggered by one topic are not going to have to see this other topic. Um, if you're in the pregnancy phase, you're probably not going to want to think about 
like the past phases, or if you're experiencing miscarriage, you're not going to want to see the the pregnancy stages. So that's that's like the fertility side. On the parenting side, one of or yeah, on the parenting side, a good inside. One of the things that we do really really well is like uh, create these segments, but with a little bit of a different focus. So these um, sort of groups that are identity based. So people who have kids who are neurodivergent or people who identify as black parents, right? And having those spaces that are really niched um, can be really powerful to be able to have even more like nuanced discussion and connections and intimacy. Um, So those are some of the things that I really love to do and find opportunities to, you know, quote unquote, allow, I'm like using like big quotes here, allow people to have the spaces and opportunities to connect with one another. That's not in the big, big pool. Um, no one wants to, to swim in that big pool. Everyone wants to go to the smaller um, and more intimate and connected spaces. Mm, I love that. I think what you said in terms of like, if someone came to a community that was in that very sensitive part of their life where they had miscarriages or or, or whatever, um, and they saw, you know, the happy stuff, you know, I never thought, you know, how ha- you have to separate that, don't you? Um, h- how do you even go about that? Would you just create almost like a, a journey into that space? So there was no, you know, it was a clear direction of if you go into that space, warning. Yeah. Um, we had a couple different things that we could do. So for the, the people who, um, the pregnancy spaces and pregnancy and beyond. So birth, I guess, um, we hid behind a gate so that un- unless you posted a positive pregnancy test, which was a separate room, um, separate space, but once you went in there and you joined this other space, you would not get added to it. So there was like a pathway that you can join and opt into. Um, but people who were prior to that, um, or didn't see that wouldn't accidentally join it. Mm, that makes sense. And you said you weren't using Slack. I wanted to revisit that. <laughs> what, what are you? What's your thoughts on using Slack to scale and not scale? <laughs> this is this is a hot hot take. Hot yeah. take. Um, I mean, a lot of people love Slack, and I love Slack for work, and I love Slack for certain communities. I just find it challenging that if so. First of all, Slack is a business and uses a different platform for their community. Um, and there's a reason for that, right? There's for every single active member, you're paying a dollar amount. I think when I checked, it was like $12 a seat. And so you're wanting to, as a community manager, I would expect that you're wanting to drive engagement. You want more people to be engaged. So you're basically paying more money. The, the, like the incentives are inversed. And so when you get past 10,000 messages on Slack, all of them go away. The collective knowledge, the wisdom, the village, you know, voices go away unless you pay. And to me, that's, that's a really big deficit in community. You need that collective knowledge from three months ago, six months ago, 12 months ago to be able to say, like, here's how I answered this. Here's how I navigated the situation. And if you can't do that, that's, that's a problem, at least for me, you know. If, if you don't do that, what you get is people asking the same questions over and over and over. And to me, that's a problem because people who have been around for a long period of time will get really fatigued. Um, and that doesn't provide a really good member experience. So um, while I was at Modern Fertility, I actually had a Slack sit. So <laughs> like a exodus from Slack um, onto Circle. And we did a big migration. And it was a, it was a challenging time, but like really worthwhile. 
And we actually were able to scale up the community relatively quickly um, because of that. Oh, cool. And then, so what um, what platform did you choose or have you chosen um, since then? We ended up using Circle. I was asked to join Good Inside because I had had experience at with Circle for our platform and we now use Circle for Good Inside as well. Great. And so they have more almost like I guess I haven't used Circle before, but with Discord, you can create kind of those pathways or create bots where people, their you know, message um, channels open up to certain people or can be hidden. I'm guessing that's the same then. Yeah, it's not bots, but there's some automations and like um, linking and things like that that we can use to help people find the places that are right for them. Awesome. Well, enough about <laughs> platforms. <laughs> um, another really good topic. I would love to know. So, I'm guessing you have leaders within your community. How how do you empower um, those leaders specifically, uh, and how do you find them as well? Yeah, we actually have a full engagement program for these leaders. Um, we have two groups. One is called mentors and one is called room leaders. So room leaders, as you might expect, are people who have lived experience in the, the subtopics that we talked about. And they are in the community. They are identified by their lived experience and what they've already shared. But we're really looking for in those, those folks are, um, People who are willing to encourage other people to share relevant experience from their lives. And we're seeing that they're like active in the community. They're already like without any incentives, they're intrinsically motivated to show up. And for mentors, very similar. There's actually kind of a Venn diagram overlap um, for those folks to become a mentor. But we actually created a training path, our clinical director of clinic excuse me, director of clinical training, does this amazing training for them. It gives them more information. Um, it's like for free, quote unquote, um, but it's really like a reciprocal program. And um, at the end of the training, you are eligible to do more within the community, to help moderate, to support our members. Um, and the training, I think a lot of people really enjoy because it's like a deep dive into a topic that they're really invested in. So it gives them a little bit more access to the brand, a lot of um, like reviews and conversations with our clinical team to learn more. So that that journey is like really handpicking members, looking at analytics, seeing who's showing up, who's participating in live events, who's encouraging other people, you know, that kind of thing. It's sort of like visual um, and we find opportunities for them to step up. And they're very vocal. This is like a very vocal crew of folks. They give us feedback. We listen to them and see what we can fit into, like what we were talking about with the business goals and the the men- membership goals. Love that. So they don't actually apply; they you you kind of elect them as a leader. Yeah, I think in the in the future there might be a process to apply. Um, currently, it's not as structured, um, but they they really rise up to the top. We see them very. We can just like find them and. Um, welcome and invite them. And oftentimes they say, yes, we have a pretty high take rate for those folks, which is really incredible. Um, so want to keep doing that and um, creating those relationships. I think that like the handpicking comes from, you know, being able to like be in the community all the time. Our team is always in the community and like we're able to see who the, who the really prominent members are. And then the analytics also help us do that too. Mm. And it's such a nice way to reward good behavior and good uh you know people creating that good experience in your communities 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not that, you know, lurkers are bad. I, I think that a lot of people have this like misconception that lurkers or people who sort of just like stay on the sidelines are bad. We really like our brand is called Good Inside. We assume that everyone is doing the best they can with the resources they have at the time. And like that might just be logging into the community, seeing what's going on. But the people who do show up consistently, they're adding a tremendous value to to our members and our brand and our company. And so it's it's really important to us to identify those people to say, like, we see you and you're doing important things. So mm, no, definitely. Great. And so I'd love to get into our more practical side of our conversation just to uh, finalize things. But I'd love to hear more around uh, your kind of, I guess, experience and if if there was any kind of aspiring community professional professional looking to kind of follow in your footsteps, would you have any kind of top tips to share? Yeah. I mean, this is like all the work in progress and lots of mistakes in the process, but I come from a world of social work. This is not the side of like marketing and like social media and like that stuff. And so I had to learn a lot. I think some of the like three, I think if I can distill this down into three tips, it would look something like learn product marketing and how to write for community. I I don't know if anyone could resonate with this, like anyone who's done events or marketing events, like how many of us have written sentences that start with join us for whatever, right? Like there's so many more like better ways of writing copy. Um, and you don't have to be an excellent copywriter, but like knowing how to market your um, market, the things that you're working on, it is essentially product marketing within your community and like outside of your community. Um, the second thing I would say is like being an efficient communicator of impact to your internal team. Whether that's like wanting to be promoted or wanting to show, like manage up and showing your leaders like what you're working on and how much of an impact you've had, this really helps in like building your career um, and also like being able to document for your resume. And then the third thing I'll say is program and project management, like being able to break down a bigger project and show like what the steps are and how you're going to get there and um, the cross-functional partners you're going to be able to or need to work with. Uh, that's a really, really invaluable skill. Mm. I think three very, very valuable tips and all three, I'm like thinking about them. I'm like, they have been hard learnings in my career. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like people have careers in each of these things, right? Like or careers in product marketing or copywriting or project pro project or program management. And like, so like, it's not like a light ask, but as you grow in your career, doing some professional development each month um, and creating time for that discipline is, is really important. And that's something that I um, try to encourage for my directs and making sure that they have the opportunities to grow, not just in like the doing of the work, but also like taking time to take classes or um, listen to podcasts and things like that. Mm. And how many people in your team at the moment? Yeah, we have a team of five, um, myself included. And not all of them are direct to me, but we have um, a clinical training director that I partner really closely with. And then we also have a community manager um, and two clinical coaches who support our community. So we have five people who are always in um, and help support all the uh, community initiatives. Awesome. That sounds busy. <laughs> yeah, it's a great team, though. Oh, good. And I'd also love to ask, um, what is one big lesson you've learned from your time uh, as a community professional? So rather than tips, like, is there one big takeaway from from the, your time? I think that if you want a, a career and community, 
being really um, specific about what kind of community you want to go to and like learn from and um, lead is really important. And finding a leadership team that aligns with your beliefs about community, who will give community a seat at the table is incredibly important. I've met so many community professionals who are bogged down by um, being part, part of an org that doesn't believe in community, but is, you know, trying to get the check mark. Um, and that's like really demoralizing and it's exhausting and it's hard to fight for. So I think that's like the biggest thing. And then on the career side, like the threading the needle thing, I just, I'll just go back to that from the very beginning that we talked about is like, even if you don't have a career, uh, sorry, a community title, if you can tell the story of why each of your steps along the way have really led you to this experience, you'll find a role in community. You'll be able to find like the next step that gives you the community title if that's what you want. Mm, I think all of that makes sense. And uh, definitely here, if if you don't work for a brand or a company that champions community, then it does become a big uphill battle for sure. Just a last question before, well, actually two more questions for you. <laughs> um, I guess with, you know, working in a big team, you must see, you know, and maybe not, not from that team, but working uh, with multiple teams, uh, what is like the most valuable skill or trait that a community man- manager should have as they're progressing? I have a hard time answering this question. Um, but one thing that I think is imperative is to learn how to work with cross-functional partners and to start speaking their language. I think it's really tricky um, if you don't come from this background and like it takes time to, to catch up to speed. But one thing that I think I've learned a lot in my role at Good Inside is that anytime you mess up, right? Anytime you mess up or somebody else on your team messes up, coming alongside them and saying like, look, we're on the same team. Let's figure this out. We're, we're going to figure this out together can be a really, really valuable way to build trust with somebody. Um, and also like they're not in trouble. Like, yeah, it's a mess up, but we can learn from it. Right. And I think that again, like you can't change the heart. You can change the loan. You can sit on the same side of the bench with them and like say, you know what? We're going to figure this out together. We're going to move through it. And I've had this experience with my CEO that like when there is a problem, like what you're trying to do is not uh, to like fix it, right? And not blame the person uh, because blaming them doesn't actually fix the problem. Mm, that's a big one. No, I, I think that you answered that perfectly. Um, and then finally, I would love to hear, are you, what are you working on? Is there anything coming up next for you? Yeah, I love this. So I love the work that I'm doing at Good Inside. Um, I love connecting parents as our community grows and scales. Like my my goal is to keep the intimacy, to keep the member to member connections alive. And so, you know, our our work now is to really focus on that and to like that's our North Star, moving towards keeping the connections alive, maintaining and like the newest members feel welcome at the very beginning. Um, and so we're creating new programs and new initiatives and new tests around um, and a little bit of rigor around those tests um, to make sure that, you know, those initiatives actually like take take hold and um, are like something that's repeatable in the future um, and make an impact on retention and connection and engagement. 
Well, good insight. I'm very lucky to have you because it sounds like, you know, everything you're working on and everything you, you know, you're passionate about is, you know, what good insight is all about. So I can only expect amazing things in the future and and I'm very excited to hear an update. Maybe we can have you back again. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming with me behind the community. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. I'd also love to hear from you on LinkedIn. You can search Michelle Sims to find me. I'll see you on the next episode.